Welcome to episode 47 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Psychomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation with Jen Wilson, co-founder of the Army Week Association, a New York City-based nonprofit that aids and assists communities in welcoming back their sons and daughters from service, caring for the families of the fallen, and assisting our men and women with their transition from service. As the Army Week Association's chief operating officer, Jen maintains close working relationships with local, state, federal, and international governments and military contacts to ensure an effective and efficient bridge of the civilian-military divide. It's in this role that Jen has been working tirelessly for months on the evacuations of Americans and our allies out of Afghanistan from her living room in Manhattan. Find out more about Jen by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. As the Chief Operating Officer of the Army Week Association, you're intimately involved with supporting service members as they transition to post-military life. I'm interested to hear about your journey and how you became involved in supporting service members, veterans, and their families. Yeah, so my grandfather is a D-Day Battle of the Bulge Bronze Star survivor. So I grew up in a very patriotic family, but in a patriotic town and small town in Louisiana. And prior to 9-11, American kids growing up, coming out of high school, if you weren't really college material then, or you didn't really know where you wanted to go with your life, you went to the National Guard because you gave like one weekend uh, a month and uh, two weeks a summer. And then after you could go to college for free. And Prior to 9-11, that's what all kids did in my hometown. You either went to GE or State Farm or straight college or National Guard. Those were literally the only four routes out. So everybody that my brother and I grew up with that didn't go those other three tracks, which the National Guard, and then 9-11 happened. And everybody we grew up with went to Iraq or Afghanistan. And some came home, some didn't, but nobody came home the same. And one of my brother's friends that we'd grown up with, we'd been to church together literally since we were all babies. And he came home, Marine, blown up, went through the DOD and the VA process of the surgeries and the fix it with opioids and all of that, got hooked on pills and committed suicide. And then that started happening more often. And we started to see that there was a huge gap in what the DOD and the VA could provide and what our friends and colleagues actually needed on the ground in real life. And so at that time, one of my roommates that I had in New York for years, her boyfriend was in the army, was working in veterans services for Citibank. And I was doing the same thing at NBC with the NBC Veterans Network. And we ended up meeting at 
at an event and he and I decided to team up and start Army Week together and to to work specifically in the transition space where we saw our friends having such problems as they're getting out. And so that's where we started Army Week. And that's where we've been for the last decade is focusing on that transition space for the soldier, for their families, for their children and our Gold Star families. And so I can really see how impactful that was because the the men and women that you grew up with, uh, they didn't go back to a military town or a large city where they had all of the resources. They came back to a community where you literally described me when I joined in the mid nineties, I I didn't know what else to do. And so I joined the army reserves, found out I love the army, went active duty eight months later or whatever, but they came back home to communities that weren't prepared to receive them. 100%. And that's part of where we work is not just re-socializing the the veteran and their family, but actually educating and working with the community so that they can receive them, so that they can build out the infrastructure in their towns that they, that they need it, and their the organizations and the help in their own towns that they need to welcome these guys back so that you don't have guys coming home and nothing, literally nothing, like not even a VA. I, I don't even know where the local VA is in Monroe, Louisiana, where I came from. It's probably Shreveport or something. It's It was in those small towns in America where that's where most of our military comes from, a small town America. There aren't that many organizations. Then there weren't. Now there are a lot more, but there's just not a lot of infrastructure in these little towns for our veterans. Yes, everybody's patriotic, but aside from putting a flag on your car window or hanging a flag on your house, what are you actually doing? What are the steps that you're taking to to help with this transition and to help to get them back into their community, to get them hired, to get them the job training that they need, to help train the spouses? Because the spouses travel around all over the place, losing their jobs, having to quit their jobs, having to start new friends, new social circles, same as the children. So there are a lot of different issues with the the transition space and the, the reintegration space that uh, unless you're like in it, they're they're intuitive. Like you, you see it once. Somebody says it, but no one is really out, had been really out there like creating those things. And then obviously, then like Team Rubicon and Team RWB and Headstrong Project and Psych Armor and all of these organizations, all we all started popping up at the same time to really work. And Blue Star Families was a, a big friend of ours, Hope for the Warriors at the beginning. So a lot of these. A lot of these organizations started popping up at the same time, seeing the same exact things that I'm talking about and, and trying to work in their own communities to to fill that gap, to, to close the breach. And I think really what you said there was it's not the lack of desire. People want to support. It's the lack of knowledge of how to support or, or what resources are actually needed. Yeah, exactly. And, and what they can do, because, you know, like even my parents, they before I started doing this, I had yeah, we always had a flag on our house, but they weren't really involved, weren't really getting hands dirty. They didn't know where to go, what to do, what was needed. And so until these organizations started outlaying you know, what the issues were, people couldn't really jump in by themselves unless you were going to create an organization yourself. In which, like you said, has led to the Army Week Association. It's a New York City-based nonprofit bridging that gap, as you said, between when someone leaves the military and then return to the community. You do that in a number of different ways. I'd like to hear more about your impact and and what AWA does. Yeah, so we work, like I said, in the in the transition space. So every year we 
we have a week's worth of events surrounding the Army birthday. So Army birthday is June 14th. So it's always that week surrounding the birthday. Our keystone event is the Army birthday gala we throw every year. But surrounding that, we hold other events with partner organizations um, and companies in the New York, New Jersey area to give our returning service members and their families uh, a chance to address some of these issues, whether it's, we've obviously had job fairs, those you don't really do anymore, but we've held job fairs. We, our annual event that everybody loves and it sells out every time is the decorating cakes with the cake boss. He gives us his factory for one evening and we have service members and their children come in and he teaches them how to decorate a cake like they do on TV. We do events with Blue Star families. We do rucks with Team RWB and Go Ruck. Doing as many things as we can with as many partner organizations to give this sense of community that so many of our service members lost when they got out. Because that's a big issue that, that people don't really talk about is when you're in and and I'm I've learned about it from one side of the fence and then I started doing Afghanistan and I learned about it from the other side of the fence and you're in the the shit together with your guys and you're going through this and it's a bond, uh, a forced bond, but a bond that cannot be broken. And then you get out and you go to, I don't know, your job at a, a counter somewhere or a finance job, or you're in an office somewhere and everybody has their own thing. And, and, that, that sense of camaraderie and joint mission focused mission on a project is gone. You don't have that. And, and it's impossible to find that in the corporate world, except for in these affinity networks that we've worked to build over the years. And even then it's very difficult and each company is different and the focus and the, the drive inside of each company is different. That piece is where we really try to fill the gap is giving them that chance to feel that community and build it for themselves, but also to reconnect with their wife and children in a, in a way that they wouldn't do otherwise. You know, and I think it's interesting from your standpoint, not having other than people that you grew up with experience in the military, but not having any direct military experience yourself having that direct experience is building that camaraderie, but an example of someone who works with an organization that has learned that over time, like everything that you're talking about is the same exact thing would come out of somebody's mouth who has served for eight, 10, 12 years. Yeah. And speaking of that length of time, we deal with guys, they served their four and got out. But almost the ones that are almost more difficult and everybody, if, if you ask a grunt, they'll tell you, oh yeah, 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 yeah I don't want to hear it. But officers, colonels mm-hmm. that have spent majors that have spent 20 years mm-hmm. indoctrinated in one way, and then they come out. Yes, they probably have more opportunity with air quotes for high paying jobs, but they really don't know anything else. They really have trouble transitioning into, okay, I'm in my fifties. Who am I now? And how do I go about building something else when I don't have any clue who I am outside of this. So working with officers I've found has been, I wouldn't say more difficult, but differently difficult than working with the the foreign outs. Yeah, I think that's it. Having been someone who served 22 years in the army, the indoctrination is very significant. And so in really appreciate the work that you're, you've been doing for a number of years. And then all of a sudden this work has been building up to something that, 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 as you alluded 
who created something very unexpected. One of the most recent things that have come about from your work is that you found your organization involved in evacuating Afghan allies after Kabul fell to the Taliban earlier this year. Yeah, Army Week, we really fashion ourselves being an allied organization. So for years, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon with the Australian, the British, and the Danish and the Georgian wounded teams. I was kinesiologist my original career. And so it was good for them to have someone like me on the ground. So I would always run that with them. And over the years, we've built up uh, a lot of relationships with a lot of allied countries. And in, in Chris, obviously, is still in the army. And he, w- he did a tour in 2016 in Iraq and Kuwait. But we've been close with the Kurds and with the Afghans for years. And in 2019, in April 2019, we had three Marines that were killed in Afghanistan in a a bombing and a firefight. And those Marines happened to be from New York. And they happened to be from uh, a unit who the platoon leader is a very good friend of Chris and mine. He survived, but obviously three of his men did not. And at our gala, a couple, it was three months later in June, our army birthday gala, we had all of the surviving members of that unit. They had obviously just flown home. They had just been repatriated through through Bragg. And we had all the surviving members of that unit at our gala. And we had the military attache for Afghanistan's embassy in D.C., on hand, and he gave Murphy, our friend, who's platoon leader, uh, a medal on behalf of the Afghan government, recognizing his loss and his service of those three men. And at the end, at the middle of August this year, we could all see Herat was falling, and Kandahar mm-hmm. fell, and the outsides of Afghanistan started to fall, the tribal areas, and so you could see it coming. And if you're if you were in the the veteran space, you obviously have ton of friends on social media. You could see it coming, the 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 way that they were feeling and, and the desperation and the panic that, that they were starting to go through. And August 13th is when it started for me. That was the day that we sent in the three Marine battalions into HKIA to secure their airfield to start evacuations. And I, I, I made a like a post on my Facebook page about thinking about the, the, these Marines that were going in because some of them are friends of ours and for everybody to keep them in their, in their thoughts. And I started then getting a message on my phone from one Marine here, one soldier here coming from guys that are stalwarts in our community in New York and that everybody goes to like, they're the, they're these two particular guys are, are guys that everybody goes to. They're mentors for everyone. And they were coming to me telling me the trouble that they were having and how hard this was hitting them and how it was affecting their mental health and the state that they were in as this was happening. And Kabul hadn't even fallen yet. Right. And at that point I was like, if I don't start trying to get their guys out, I'm going to start losing my guys. And that's when it started for me. And then I got a call from Canada, one of our Canadian soldier friends, and then one, some in from the UK. And then it just started coming from everywhere. And I started to see the panic in a lot of friends in a lot of different countries. And it then at that point, it was just, it was all hands on deck. And it was 24 hours a day for, I don't know three months, it seemed, just trying, working the phones constantly. We were, at one point, we had a guy driving around Kabul, dropping live pins of Taliban checkpoints so that we could overlay it over Google Maps so that we could move our guys to safe houses or to the airport. And it was frantic, absolutely frantic. But yeah, that's how it started. It was my guys and, and what the mental health struggle that I saw them going through just at the beginning and my just want to to help. 
No, I, I really appreciate that. And looking back at that time, and I, I served in Kabul, I, I was actually um, deployed to Afghanistan twice, uh, once in RC East near Jalalabad and, and once in Kabul. And you're exactly right in that it was almost a, a tale of two weeks. That first week of when we saw it happening, every veteran I know felt angry and despairing and impotent. I don't know what I can do. And then the next week, it was like a switch flipped because that's what service members do is they do things. And that first week was, I don't know what I can do. And then all of a sudden in that second week, and as you said, in those subsequent weeks, there were things that we could do. And so there was action that can be taken. Exactly. And it, you're impotent is a perfect word. And being able to be on the ground and be in contact with all of these guys on the ground and actually moving them. Like we were actually moving humans in and around Taliban checkpoints and safe houses. And and it gave a lot of these guys purpose again. They were back in the mission. They were fighting for their guys again, guys that saved their lives a lot of times. And it gave them an an opportunity to use their skill set again. Many of them hadn't used land nav in that regard in a really long time. Some of them were dusting off those old maps of of Kabul and and the surrounding areas. But yeah, it it gave them a purpose. And so I, I can't tell you how many guys I worked with from all around the world on this mission to get guys out. And I think the the one thing, again, this was not what the Army Week Association was built for, was to be an immediate response force for Afghan refugee crisis. That's yeah. That was not <laughs> never in any of the literature that it indicate. No. But what I think it, it shows is if you have a network of service members that trust and support each other and the organization that has built that network, that you can pivot easily to do some pretty amazing things. And it was, it's really, and I, we had a Veterans Day gal a couple of weeks ago, and I talked about this in my speech. I, I, I talked about a little bit about how we all built out our organizations 10 years ago at the same time, but the, it's the way that we built it out, not just here in New York, but I think a, a lot of them, we built these organizations in a synergetic, non-competitive environment where we go to all of our other friends and colleagues events, support them. We, we support their mission. We donate to them. We we help them out with any, if they need a contact for this, or they need a vendor for this, or they need something like, we've all been with each other for so long. We've all contributed to each other's success that when this happened, it was very easy to flick it on and you ring up literally all of your friends that you've been making for the last 10 years, because we already had that community. We had already built that camaraderie and it wasn't competitive. We aren't fighting over money or clout or credits or any of this. It was, there's a mission on the table and this is what we need. Who can do it? And it's phoning up a friend, literally, that's how we were doing it to just achieve the mission. And it was, it's because of how we built this out. And that just, that's not just, that's not me or Army Week or Chris, that's the entire veteran service organization community, not just in the Northeast, but I think I think there are a lot of great ones nationally, but specifically here in, in New York, just because I was that's where I was working closest. But it was really incredible as I roll up now and look at it from the press box to think back about what we were able to accomplish. And at one point, I it was it was like a Tuesday, and once word got out that you were working this problem, the messages and the requests are flooding in, not only just texts, WhatsApp, through every DM on every social media platform, every email address you've ever had, they're just flooding in. And I was buried in thousands. I checked, pulled up my inbox one day and it was at like 1200 and that was overnight. And 
I just, I phoned up a friend here, part of Team RWB and part of a United War Veterans Council. And I was like, I am buried. I need help. I can't do this. At that point, we started running like a 10 person data team out of my apartment to ingest all of this data coming in and to get it into the right lists so that they could actually get into HKIA and get their you know paperwork and all of that. So it was those kinds of things. Another one, I was on Long Island Railroad. It was like 11 p.m. at night. I was going out to a friend's uh, house in the Hamptons for Labor Day weekend. And I get a call at 11 o'clock at night that there are 43 Americans trapped at one of the gates at HKIA and they couldn't get in. And the Taliban were whipping people around them with the rubber rubber hoses. And I phoned my friend, Mark, who is the executive director at United War Veterans Council. And was like, look, what can we do? Who do we know? Because the shift changes, obviously it was the shifts were changing inside of HKIA. So whoever we might've had on a gate at one point, two hours that changed. And so we constantly had to be working the phones to find out who was on shift where. And within an hour, we had all 43 of those Americans inside the gate behind a line of a 82nd Airborne. But it was those kinds of things and how those work, how, how those relationships worked that allowed us to have the successes that we've had. Oh, and I think it, that's it's amazing, the effort, but also it's amazing that the organization was in a place to be able to do that. So if people wanted to hear more about the Army Week Association or find out more, support the work that you're doing, how could they do that? Yeah, through our, our website, armyweek.org, but also our we post far more on our social media, obviously, than we, than we update our website. So our Facebook page, Army Week Association, our Instagram page, Army Week Association. We'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show today, Jim. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dwayne. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. The first thing that I'd like to point out in our conversation is the difficulty of returning to a community after leaving the military and having needs that are not being met. There are a lot of needs for veterans and their families in post-military life, many of which we've talked about on the show. Basic needs like housing, employment, and health care, higher order needs like life satisfaction and a sense of belongingness, and the need to support their communities, to be of service to others, and to help others do the same. I'm talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, of course, which is a whole different conversation. But in the military, all of those needs are taken care of for you. The military requires a lot, but it provides a lot and does not train service members on how to make the shift from relying on a robust and complex organization to get your needs met to getting those needs met yourself. It's one thing to go back to a community that has hundreds of organizations designed to meet those needs. Again, housing support, employment support, access to medical care, but also organizations that can help veterans be engaged in their community or connect with others. The problem there is one of sifting through all of the different organizations. It can be too overwhelming if there's not coordination happening. But as Jen said in the interview, what about veterans and their families when they return home to Monroe, Louisiana, or Mishawaka, Indiana, or Redding, California? These are cities with less than 100,000 in population. And with fewer population, there are fewer organizations to support military-connected families, and the less likely there are to be VA resources. We think a lot about large military communities or population centers, and there are a lot of resources connected there. But when service members leave the military and go back to small towns and communities across our nation, their needs are still the same and the communities need support to address those needs. 
The other point that I'd like to talk about is how the military and veteran community responded to the fall of Kabul in the spring of 2021. As I mentioned in my conversation with Jen, this was a time of significant distress. This was a challenge for those of us who served in Afghanistan, of course. Many veterans I worked with were questioning their efforts there, and especially the sacrifices that were being made. That first couple of weeks as we were watching the Taliban take over territories across the country and then watching Kabul fell caused significant anger and sadness. This wasn't just limited to Afghanistan veterans, however. Those who served in Iraq but were never deployed to Afghanistan felt the same thing when Iraq was being taken over by ISIS in the mid-2010s, and Vietnam veterans were re-experiencing the fall of Saigon 45 years after it happened. Nearly every single one of my therapy clients, whether they served in Afghanistan or not, expressed anger, frustration, and sadness during those first several weeks. Then, all of a sudden, it was as if a switch flipped. As Jen mentioned, within a matter of days, she was inundated with offers to help and a desire for action. Because that's what veterans do. See a problem, solve a problem. Here was a situation that required effort, an effort that could have tangible results. You heard stories of people flying into Afghanistan to support, people relaying messages from allies on the ground, people analyzing reports for any actionable information, coordinating communication, the conversation very quickly changed from this is terrible to this is still terrible, but I'm doing what I can to make it less terrible. In an unexpected way, that's what the Army Week Association and other nonprofits around the country were built for, an organization that has built a network that can meet the needs of those who serve. At that moment in time, the need was to be engaged in solving a tangible problem with high stakes and low resources. And many veterans likely felt right back at home because that's what we did on a weekly basis and sometimes a daily basis in the military. It's organizations like the Army Week Association and the American Legion and Team Rubicon and the Northern California Veterans Support Group in Redding, California, Homes for Heroes in Mishawaka, Indiana, and the Never Alone Initiative in Monroe, Louisiana that are there to respond to those needs. There's only one organization that's designed to meet the needs of its constituent members, and that's the Department of Defense. And that's not forever. After service members and their families leave the military, it's on them and their communities to figure it out from there. It's great to hear from people like Jen, who represent organizations like the Army Week Association, that are stepping up to help both veterans and communities to do that. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psych Armor course, Why Veterans Are an Invaluable Resource to the Community. The members of the military and veteran community are rich with qualities unique to their character and military experience. In this course, community leaders will learn about why taking the time to embark on a collaboration journey can ensure that veterans and their families unlock their full potential and apply their invaluable skills back into their communities. You can find a link to this resource in our show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast player of choice, as well as at psychomer.org forward slash podcast. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, 
We would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.